Thank you, Pastor. It's such a blessing to be back at Faith Baptist Church, and I'm so glad not only to be here, but to be here with Brother Eager. And uh, Eager just recently has been able to come to America for many, many, many years. Uh, We were trying to get him a visa to come to the country, and we've brought a number of uh, our national church planters over, and they're such a blessing for people who are supporting and praying the ministry to see firsthand of folks who've been saved and as a result of the, the missionary prayers and, and giving. But eager we could never get in. The problem was that he had this very long criminal record. And every time he applied, uh, he would be denied. He was denied over and over again. If you, if you knew eager, if you saw his record, right now you guys would be securing your wallets. People would be running out locking their cars. And uh, But... Uh, God worked it out a couple years ago, and maybe we'll tell a little bit more details uh, in the evening service, but through, through a miracle, we're able to see his, his uh, criminal past expunged, and um, he's here now. And uh, the Christians there in, in Desna, they still talk. They still talk about the first time Eager showed up in a, in a church service, or I'm not sure if it was a service or a Bible study, how terrified they were. They all quickly... Re- came to the conclusion that the local mafia had figured out the church had money and he'd come to extort them. And, uh, but God did such a wonderful change. It's transformed his life to, from being, you know, feared and just really mean and, and violent. He became gentle. He became kind. So much so that when the original church planter who planted the church went on to plant another church, uh, that fellow, and he's been here in this church before, uh, Vitaly Sitchov, when he, he handpicked a successor. But by that time, Eager had changed so much that the church themselves says, no, we want Eager as our pastor. Nobody would have ever imagined that, that God would transform a life like he did. So you'll hear his testimony. It'll be a blessing to you. And uh, we'd like to encourage you to, to stop by our display table. We've got the, our, our literature. We put out a monthly uh, prayer and praise sheet called The Beams of Light, and we put out a, a prayer letter, a quarterly newsletter. We've got uh, some books and CDs. We'd, uh, some of you have these, and a lot of you do, but uh, we'd like to encourage you to stop by, and uh, I'll say something about these books. This is A Path Not Lined with Roses. This is a story of Peter Romanchik, who, who's been in this church, and he was the vice president of that large group of unregistered churches. And uh, he was particularly singled out for persecution. He was in prison for over 18 years. And uh, the last time he was sentenced to prison, he was, he was charged with trying to overthrow the Soviet Union. If you can imagine this kind, gentle pastor. And he was convicted of it. <laughs> but uh, but their, their court system is amazing. The first time he was arrested, he and four other men were charged with parasitism. That's being parasites, not having jobs. One of the men was retired. The other four were arrested at work. <laughs> but... They were judged, they were found guilty. <laughs> That's the Soviet system. And uh, just uh, last month, Brother Peter went to be with the Lord. And the last uh, mi- missionary effort he was involved in was, was a church in Shahovska. You probably read about it in our newsletters. It was a town two hours from him that he got a burden for. He recruited one of his preacher boys who had been a missionary in Siberia to come and get the church started. We helped him build a building. In the last few days of his life, he spent at that place ministering, preaching, 
came home on a Tuesday night, and that night he went into eternity. And I was able to be at the funeral. It was just a wonderful home going. But uh, this, is, this is a wonderful story. We have a children's book. Missions Now just add me to 10 true missionary stories from 10 different countries, each of involving a child. After each story, there is a... Uh, there is a craft that you do together with your youngster and then a recipe from that country. And then uh, this book, Giving God the Glory, is our story, the story of Beam, the story of our family, how God uh, just brought the whole thing about, how he saved people and how he, he uh, worked things out to, to today where, where you're, you're part of this ministry. And that t- this, this tells the whole story. Um, there's a couple trumpet CDs, and all, all these are available for a $5 donation, and so stop by. And we invite you to fellowship a little bit with Eager. I'll be interpreting for him, but he knows a little bit of basic English, so don't hesitate to, to talk to him so he can practice his English. Uh, not, uh, we can't remember if it was a year or two or three years ago, not that long ago. Uh, we showed you a video that gives you the whole the whole uh, scope of our ministry it tells the story from the very beginning until, until now. So rather than show that to you again, uh, we brought these DVDs. It's like 26 minutes long. And uh, if you want to get an overview of the ministry, uh, these are free. Take one. You can also access it from our website. Our website is baptistinternational.org. There's a tab called Media. If you t- click on that tab, there's another one called Videos. Click on the video, and this, uh, this video is the third video down, and it's called 30 Anniversary Video. And yes, we've been now over 30 years in this ministry, and you folks have been a, a, part, a part of it from, from the very beginning. And so what I'm going to do in Sunday School Hour is to go before all this and just tell you the story of how God brought salvation to, to the Slobodians and how all this led to that. That's what was the, the foundation. That's what started all this that you're a part of. Uh, and at, the story begins uh, long ago uh, in Ukraine. And uh, my, uh, it starts with my grandfather. And he was uh, born in a very remote area, a small town in western Ukraine called uh, Lviv. And uh, if, you would to, uh, if you were to describe my grandfather, his name was Anton. Uh, you'd probably say he was the town hoodlum. He was the, he was the worst person in town. He was the one that was always in trouble for fighting and drinking. And if you needed to have somebody beat up for a bottle of vodka, uh, Anton was the guy who'd be glad to do it. And uh, so he was very violent, and he lived a, a very violent life. And, uh, but one day, out of the blue, he got an urge that he couldn't understand. And the urge was... To find God. And, and all of a sudden, the drinking, the parting, the hard living, it didn't satisfy. And he felt this emptiness. He felt this lack of satisfaction. And it troubled him. And somehow, he concluded that what he needed, what he was missing, he knew he was missing something. Something was lacking. And he, on his own, just came convinced that what he needed was God and that he needed to find God. Oh, no, nobody told him that. And so he began to, to, to think of how he could get close to God, how he could find God. And uh, he came up with his own plan. And his plan was based on his own limited religious knowledge. And here's the plan that he developed. He would save his money. When he had a bag of money, he'd hitch the horse to the wagon, drive to a, a large city. And in that large city, he would buy a big statue of the Virgin Mary. And then he would bring her to the house, he would build a 
a platform for her. He'd put her on that platform, and he and his family would pray to the Virgin Mary, and then he'd find peace. He'd find God. He'd find satisfaction. And so he began to execute that plan, and uh, he saved his money. The day came, he hitched the horse to the wagon, and he rode off in the city. And uh, when my grandfather did things, he did them like 110%. I mean, he, 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 he was just that way. So when he bought a statue of the Virgin Mary, it was big. I mean, it didn't even fit on the wagon. Uh, the head was over one end, the feet were at the other end. And here comes a town hoodlum in the town on the wagon carrying this huge statue of the Virgin Mary. Boy, did that start the, the tongues wagging. And people said, did you see, did you see what Anton, did, who did he rip off? I mean, did you see Anton of all people with that big statue of the Virgin Mary? And uh, pretty soon, there was a knock at the door. It was the priest in the area. And he says, Anton, we've heard that you've got the most beautiful statue of the Virgin Mary. We're hoping that you're going to dedicate it and donate it to the parish. And my grandfather said, well, Father, I'm sorry. But, you know, he says, I didn't buy that for the parish. You see, I, I felt an emptiness in my life. I felt a hollowness. I can't get any satisfaction. And I think what I need is to find God. And I bought that Virgin Mary for, for myself and for my family. I'm going to build a special pedestal, but I'll put her on that in our home, and we're going to pray to her, and I'm hoping I'll find some, some satisfaction. And the priest went his way. My grandfather began to build this platform. In the meantime, he put the Virgin Mary next to the window, a large window. And in God's providence, a cat jumping after a bird landed on the Virgin Mary's head, knocked the Virgin Mary over, and she broke into hundreds of pieces. <laughs> you can imagine you can imagine how angry my grandfather was. It took him days to cool off. And finally all everything subsided. He was calm and he said this to my grandmother. He said, "You know what?" He says, uh, "You know, when that statue broke, I was so angry. I was really upset." And he said, "But I've been thinking about that. And you know, I've decided that was a good thing." You know, he says, "I've been thinking. You know, if that statue of the Virgin Mary can't save herself from a cat. How is she going to help us? <laughs> so he said this. He said, you know, he said, you can go to church all you want, but I'm never going to set foot in church ever again. I'm going to be an atheist. If that's the way it is, why are we doing this? And, and he kept his word. He became an atheist, didn't go to church. And uh, times in in Ukraine, and it was unthinkable in that area. Everybody went to church. Uh, but in that area, things got really hard. If you're familiar with your Ukrainian history, I mean, there were seven million people died of starvation, and things were extremely difficult. And one day, a fellow came into town uh, with a plan, an opportunity. And the plan was this he was selling tickets to get on a ship and go to South America to Argentina. And the plan was this if you bought a ticket from him, He'd get you on that ship, and you'd go to Argentina. And in Argentina, there's gold in the streets. You'd get a lot of money. You'd earn a big. You'd come back eventually with a big, big bag of gold, and you'd buy more land and have a better life. Sounded like a great plan to my grandfather and three other men in the village. Uh, my grandmother and the other wives were not happy with their pl the husband's plans at all, <laughs> because uh, things like that had happened before, and those guys never, ever, ever returned. But my grandfather get that, it got it in his head, and off he went. He went off on that ship to Argentina, and at that time, uh, they had four children. My father, Peter, was the oldest. When my grandfather left for Argentina, my dad was six years old. 
and he was the oldest. And uh, off uh, Anton went, and guess what? When he got to Argentina, there was not gold in the streets. They were actually, they were in a depression. He couldn't even find work. And, uh, but we, you know what he found there? There's a lot of other Russians and Polish people and Czechoslovakians and Ukrainians that all come looking for gold. <laughs> and they just spent their time every day in the market just discussing all their problems. And one day, it was the summertime, there was a Bible college student who earned money in the summer by selling Bibles. And he happened to be walking through this market, and he could hear something. He looked over where the, the noise was coming from, and what he saw was a group of men sitting there and one guy standing up and yelling at them all. It was my granddad. That was Anton. And he asked somebody, he said, well, you know, who are they? And, and who's that guy that's yelling at him on? What's, what's he yelling about? Um, and uh, they told him that those are all people from Eastern Europe. They've all come here trying to get a better life. And they just sit around in the market all day discussing their problems. And the guy who's yelling at everybody, evidently, he's a Ukrainian patriot. And what he's yelling about is he's telling them how great and wonderful Ukraine is how they have the best land, the most fertile soil, how they have the greatest poets that have ever lived, that, that how, how brilliant the people are, how beautiful the women are, how, how wonderful their, their uh, country is, and that their language is exquisite. That's why they had such great poets. And that if it had not been in, from interference from other neighboring nations, Ukraine would have ruled the world by now. I mean, that was my granddad's speech. <coughs> I know it well. <laughs> and... Uh, so the Bible college student thought this. He thought, I got a sale here because he, uh, he had a Ukrainian Bible to sell. And he thought this guy's bragging about the Ukrainian language. Sale. <laughs> so he approached this crowd and he said to the, he interrupted and he said, Sir, he said, I understand that you're Ukrainian. And he said, My granddad said very proudly, Yes, <laughs> I'm Ukrainian. He says, I have here a Ukrainian Bible in your language. That exquisite, exquisite, beautiful Ukrainian language. And he says, I'll, I'll sell it to you so you can have a copy of the Bible in your Ukrainian language. No way did my grandfather want that book. He didn't want it at all. He was done with religion. But he couldn't say no because he'd, he'd been bragging about the Ukrainian language in front of all these other friends of his. And so he came up with a plan. Well, he wouldn't reject it, but he wouldn't get it either. And he said to the fellow, he says, well... How much do you want for it? And he said, uh, one peso. My grandfather came up with a brilliant plan. And he said, I can only give you half a peso. And he thought, that's it. <laughs> the Bible college student, here, it's yours. <laughs> so he had this. And he didn't want it, but he had it. And the uh, interesting thing is, is he went his way. That student went his way. And uh, there was a communication barrier because they were all, you know, Slavic speaking, and he, he, the student only spoke Spanish. But um, my dad's friends, my granddad's friends, immediately warned him, and they said, "Anton, don't read that book. Whatever you do, don't read that book. That's a dangerous book. We've seen what happens to people who read that book. Something goes wrong in their heads. They're not the same afterward." They have problems. You know, you, you just, whatever you do, don't read that book. So he was afraid to read it. But like a lot of us, he had this ethnic responsibility to never throw anything away. So he wasn't going to throw it away either. So he used it kind of like a wallet. And, uh, but one day, his money ran out. He hadn't eaten for three days. He had no hope. He really concluded that he was just going to die and starve. And uh, he saw... 
a tree across from a railroad station. It was shaded, and he thought, I'm going to go there, and I'll just, you know, hadn't eaten for three days. He figured, I'll just, just expire there. And uh, he sat there, and, the, and he looked in his bag, just in case he had overlooked a little piece of bread or something, and his eyes fastened on that New Testament. And there was a, all of a sudden, he felt this urge to, to read it. So he grabbed it, and, he, and as soon as he opened it, he, he was afraid. He remembered what everybody told him, so he put it back right away. But that urge came again. So he grabbed it again, and, and as just as soon as he tried to open it, he terrified. He put it back. He went back and forth until he came up with this idea. He thought, you know, if I go crazy, surely it won't happen all at once. I'll feel it coming, and I'll stop reading. You know? <laughs> so he began to read a little bit of time and test himself. So he started in the book of Matthew, read a few verses, and then he'd stop and he'd test. He'd turn his head to the left, he'd turn it to the right. He still knew who he was, you know, and he figured it was safe to continue reading. And then he got absorbed in the gospel account. He was totally absorbed in it, and, and he forgot to check, and, and he, got, he got, and you know what, what, what just captivated him? Now, there's a lot of things there he knew. He knew that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He knew that, that uh, God was a holy God. He knew that, that uh, he was in deep trouble with God because God hated sin and he was, he was a big sinner. He, he, knew, he knew a lot of basic things. But what he was reading there, some of the things he had never heard before, like that God loves the sinner. He'd never heard that. That, that God loved the sinner so much that he sent his own son to the earth for sinners. He, he had never heard something like that. And then, most amazingly of all, that God is asking the sinners to come, and he wants to forgive him, he wants to save him, and, he's, and Christ is, is inviting sinners to come to him, and then he would cleanse them and give them eternal life. He'd never heard anything like that. And so... Under that tree, without anybody other than the Holy Spirit in that New Testament, my grandfather got saved. All on his own. Just a first reading of the New Testament. And uh, meanwhile, the manager of the railroad station noticed him there. And he went across the street to his home and he told his wife, you know, there's a guy there. I'm sure he's hungry. I think, he's, I think he really needs help. You know, prepare some food. I want to invite him over. And so uh, my grandfather was invited over there, and they, they fed him. And not only that, he got him a job. And so all of a sudden, there was hope. And uh, my grandfather began to work, and he began to save his money. And most of all, he began to read that New Testament. I mean, over and over and over again, just devoured it, repeatedly read it. And as he did... He became convinced that he needed to be baptized by immersion. It's very clear in the Ukrainian New Testament. Very clear. They went down into the water. And so he began to ask all kinds of churches around to baptize him that way. They all said, no, no, we sprinkle. <coughs> he says, no, that's not correct. Right here. <laughs> he couldn't find anybody who did that. And, but, one, but he wouldn't give up. And one day somebody told him this. They said, Anton, you know what? There's people like that. There's people who dunk one another underwater. And we, we've heard of them. And, and one of them gave us this brochure. There's an address on it. 
You know, re- right to that address and you'll, you'll find somebody who can dunk you underwater. Then, you know. So he, lo- he looked at the address. The address was a Bible society in the United States. So he wrote him a letter. Weeks later, he gets a letter back from them saying, yeah, you know, we know who these people are. They're called Baptists. <laughs> and not only that, but there's Baptists in Argentina. He just didn't know where to look. And so they directed him to, to a Baptist church. He was baptized and he became uh, very active there. And he changed his plan. He realized that the plan of earning a lot of money, going back home, buying more, more land, having a better life, that wasn't going to work. Things had gotten even worse from when he left. And so he just began to save his money and change the plan to bring the family to Argentina. It took him six years, six years to earn enough money to buy the tickets for the family to come. But uh, tragically, I mean, it was, it was a big disappointment. My father, the oldest, just turned 12. At the age of 12, you, couldn't, you had to pay full fare. They didn't count on that. So they didn't have quite enough money for my father's fare. So my grandmother told my dad, Peter, at the age of 12, that she says, sorry, Peter, we can't bring you. We're going to have to leave you behind. Defend life the best you can. We'll work hard. We'll save our money. We'll send for you. So they left him there. How he survived is just amazing. But at 12 years old, he was left. He survived by working for some distant relatives, for wealthy landowners. It was Every case was a very abusive situation, but somehow he survived. And in two years, the money came, and he got on the ship to be reunited with his family. And something very interesting, we, we only learned this at, at my father's funeral from my uncle, that it turned out that that, that ship that my, my dad sailed on was the last ship that was allowed to leave Europe before the war was really got even more, more intense. The war was already going on. But it turned out that that was the very last ship that was allowed to leave Europe. And he got out, and he ended up in South America, and he was just, you can imagine, the reunion. And but my grandmother warned him. She says, Peter, I've got to tell you something about your dad. You remember what he was like. Of course, everybody remembered what he was like. She said, you know something? i got to warn you, he's totally different. He's different now, completely different. He doesn't curse. He doesn't drink. He doesn't fight. He has actually become kind. Unfortunately, he's become also a heretic from the church. (laughs) But other than that, it's all good. But when it comes to going to church, when it comes to reading the Bible, you mind your P's and Q's because he's really serious, and you'll catch it. And so uh, my, my, my father was truly amazed at the change. <coughs> and eventually, eventually the whole family got saved, except my dad. And uh, they realized it wasn't a heretical cult, but they got saved. They're all members and active in a Baptist church, but not my dad. Because when he arrived at the age of 14, he, he was a man. He'd lived on his own, and he'd always say this. He'd say to his dad, he said, you know, he's, in your life, you'll never see me born again. You'll never see me a Christian. He said, this, this is for old people. Maybe when I'm really, really old, maybe then I'll, I'll become a believer. But I'm young now. And he said that over and over again when he was of age. He went to the capital city to seek his fortune. He enrolled in a business school. 
And uh, very close to the end of his business training, just weeks away, a missionary from Chicago came to the area. It was a Russian-speaking missionary. His name was Konstanty Lifshenia. He was, I don't know if any of you heard of an old organization. They're still around, but back in its heyday, they were very, very well known for, for Russian ministries. It's called uh, Russian Gospel Ministries. Peter Deneka was the founder. And uh, that guy came from them. And one by one, my dad's friends ended up going to meetings and getting saved. Several of them got saved. They began to invite my dad, and he's uh, not interested. Eventually, it was only, out of a group of people, it was only my dad and one other guy who hadn't gotten saved yet, hadn't even gone to the meetings. But the ones, newly saved ones, kept trying to get him to the meetings. And, and uh, my dad wouldn't want to go, but finally the other guy broke down. And he said, okay, I'll go one time. And so my dad felt, I'll go too. And he went there, and uh, he didn't hear a word Constantine preached. All he was just mesmerized by his friends. He couldn't believe what he was seeing. I mean, these are people, he, he, he was used to cursing and dirty jokes and vile things coming out of their mouths. And here they are with this peaceful look on their faces singing hymns about Jesus. <laughs> he thought they'd all gone crazy. And so, you know, what is this? He's just watching them and, and they looked like they were, were happy. And, <clears throat> and he, he, he was so mesmerized by that, he didn't hear a word of that was said and and he came back to his apartment. He had two weeks, or he had a couple weeks left before finishing uh, business school and getting his diploma. <coughs> and he had, a, he had a surprise visitor. It was my grandfather from, off from the homestead that they had done. And uh, he, uh, he said, hey, where have you been? I came to visit you. And my dad said, well, I was at a church service. I heard, I heard a missionary from Chicago. My grandfather began to weep, and he said, Peter, we know you're going to get saved. We pray for you every day. And once again, my dad said, look, he says, if I ever get saved, you won't see it. This is for old people. You know, if I ever get saved, I'll be very, very old. He says, but I'd like to go back one more time. I want to hear that liar one more time. I want to figure out how he's hypnotized all my friends. What he did, I've got to figure this out. And so he went to the next meeting, and this time he listened. And Constantine preached on the text that when, when Jesus spoke, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. If anybody eat of this bread, he'll never hunger. I'm the water of life. If anyone would drink of this water, he'll, he'll never thirst. And when the invitation was given, I mean, it, that, that, that penetrated my heart, my dad's heart. And... Uh, he repented when the invitation was given. He forgot all he'd said. <laughs> and he went forward and he received the Lord and immediately, immediately felt called to preach. And uh, he walked the aisle, I mean, he, to get his diploma from business school, but he never practiced. He enrolled in a Bible institute, a Bible institute. It was really a, a very interesting, amazing school. Uh, it was a school that was started by that missions organization. And for the period of about 50 years, it was the only school in the world that taught men, trained men for ministry in the Russian language. There were none in the Soviet Union, of course. And there were large immigrant communities in a lot of places. But 
South America, they had four million Russian-speaking people who got out during the time of the Second World War. They all ended up in Argentina and Uruguay. And because of that, there was this school that trained men in ministry in the Russian language. That was where all the radio ministries, like Far East Broadcasting and Radio Fury Europe and, and uh, Transworld Radio recruited the radio preachers. And uh, he enrolled, and that's where he, uh, he met my mom, and uh, he went in the ministry. And he, was, he worked as a church planner and an evangelist. And, uh, but he had this desire to learn, to get more Bible education, more theological training. He'd talk about that at times. And one day, some Americans told him, some American missionaries told him, Peter, if you want to go and if you want to get more training, more theological training, you've got to come to America. They've got Bible colleges. They've got seminaries. You need to, that, that's, that's, the, that's the answer. That's the only place you'll get any deeper theological training. There's none here in this country. And he said, well, how do I do that? Well, they said, well, first of all, you have to get credentials that you can speak English. And then you just start writing to all the Bible colleges and seminaries you can find and, and write them. And maybe somebody will invite you as a student. So my, my dad immediately signed up for a correspondence course in English. If you can imagine learning English by correspondence before they had cassettes. <laughs> and so he signed up and he completed the course. And he got a beautiful diploma. We still have it. I mean, it's grandiose. It's got, it's got calligraphy. It's got his picture on it. I mean, it's just a sparkling, magnificent diploma. You'll never find a nicer one. But, you know, the way he'd speak English, knife was kniffy. You know, lettuce was latusi. I mean, his, his English was unintelligible. <laughs> but never mind, he had the credentials. He had the credentials. And so he began to fire off these letters. I mean, dozens and dozens and dozens of letters to every college and seminary he could find. One day, one day, we get a letter from Northwestern Bible College in Minneapolis, Minnesota, inviting my dad as a student. Dr. R.V. Clearwaters was a teacher there. And so we came as, uh, as uh, immigrants and enrolled in the school. problem was that my father couldn't understand the professor's English, and they couldn't understand his. <laughs> so he had to learn not only theology, he had to learn English at the same time. And uh, it, it was a struggle. I remember him wanting to quit. I remember other students just kneeling with my dad, uh, this old couch that we had with their arm around him and praying. And he persevered. And, and, and he, uh, not only did he complete the college, but when, when Dr. Clearwaters, uh, my, fa- my dad's senior year, the very next year Dr. Clearwaters was starting Central Baptist Seminary. And uh, my father enrolled there. He was part of their first class. And during the nine years it took him to go through college and seminary, my father started two Baptist churches because he found out that in Minneapolis there are a lot of immigrants. He started a Ukrainian Baptist church and a Russian Baptist church, and they're still both flourishing uh, today. And uh, it was just, uh, just amazing what God did. And uh, then it, my dad's plan originally was to get the theological training and go back to South America. But in the process he realized then that there were a lot more Russian-speaking people in the United States than in, in Argentina. 
So he changed his plan to because he had a burden to reach his own people, uh, to stay in America and, and reach, reach Russian-speaking, Ukrainian-speaking people here. And so when he completed his studies, when I was in sixth grade, uh, we moved to Chicago because there's an immense community of Russian-speaking people and Ukrainian-speaking people. You go in the Ukrainian neighborhood, you go up and down those streets, all you'd hear was Ukrainian. And uh, uh, that's, that's where my dad began his church man, uh, planting ministry. And, uh, uh, and it, it flourished uh, in the beginning. But then in the late 70s, things changed dramatically because, because of the Cold War. Now, the Cold War started like in 1960, so that didn't affect those neighborhoods right away. By, by the late 70s, though, as the, old, the older Russians and Ukrainians were dying, retiring, moving away, those neighborhoods dissipated, and the field just evaporated. And uh, uh, there were just no more Russian and Ukrainian people coming. And uh, uh, so my, th- those, those neighborhoods turned Hispanic. Now, my father, he was very fluent in Spanish. He just started some Spanish-speaking churches, but his heart still beat for his own people. And uh, one day God just led him to realize that there was an opportunity to preach in Russian by radio. And uh, he heard about the massive radio audience there. And there was missionary radio. And during that time, the Reader's Digest printed an article where they said that in, in the communist world, there were over one billion shortwave radio listeners. It's amazing. Because it's a surprise to most Americans, because who listens to shortwave radio here? Only a hobbyist. But in those countries, that's the only way people could get the news. And every night there were hundreds and hundreds of millions list, listening. And, and so there's a great opportunity for reaching them by radio. And, and so that's what led to the beginning of BIEM, to, uh, to start by, by uh, preaching the gospel over radio. We were also involved in, in getting Bibles into Russia, helping prisoners' families, and then putting out information. Uh, we were one of the 200 organizations during those years who would disseminate information about Russian and Russian believers who were in prison, tell their stories, had addresses people could write to to plead their case. And I remember our very first, uh, our very first challenger that we printed, it had an article about Peter Romanchik, how he had just been resentenced without being released. And uh, we never imagined we'd ever meet this person. <laughs> I mean, who would ever imagine? You know, and, and you know, God, nothing is impossible. And it turned out that God brought the Iron Curtain down, and, and we got to know some of these people that we'd been praying for. And God just opened wonderful doors of opportunity that you folks have been a part of. And we shifted then from radio to church planning, and uh, God has just been, uh, just been awesome. And, and we are now planted over 100 churches, and we have completed 51 uh, church building programs, and you'll hear a little bit about one of them uh, in the morning service. And uh, my, my story is not as exciting as my dad and my grandpa's, because I was raised in a Christian home. And probably the most exciting, interesting day in my life was when my first day of high school in Chicago. Because uh, in, uh, in those days, and some of you remember those days where youth pastors encouraged young people to carry their Bible to school. They make you have a commitment. And all summer long, they preach, starting with the spring. You guys are all going to be going to high school. Here's what you need to do. You need to commit that you're going to witness, to the, witness for the Lord the first day. 
and you're going to carry your Bible to school, put it on top of all your books. They preach, they, they must got all directions from the same Baptist Pope somewhere because they all preach the same thing over and over and over again. And uh, all the, I, I, with all the others, would go forward and I, I committed. I'm going to put my Bible on top of all the other books. I'm going to witness for the Lord the first day of high school. And, and so the first day of high school came. And I mean, a Chicago high school's got thousands of kids. And uh, uh, there's only four minutes between classes. You know, I couldn't even find my class in four minutes, <laughs> let alone witness to somebody. And so the day is going on, and I realize something. I realize I'm not going to keep my promise. You know, this is not going to work. Until I got to the last class. The last class, the ninth class, was gym. And we, I got into the gymnasium, and there were 500 other freshman boys in here. <laughs> and there were, there were about 15 teachers. And they said, oh, guys, sit in the stands. We've got to figure out who's in whose class. So just, you can talk quietly, just sit in those stands, and uh, we'll, we'll get this figured out, we'll let you know whose class you're in. Well, here's my chance. <laughs> and I looked around, and I, I, I don't know why I did this, but uh, I... Uh, I picked out the, the meanest, biggest guy I could see. <laughs> and I sat next to him. I introduced myself. And, but, you know, then the way you talk, you just, you didn't say I'm Sam. I said, my name's Slobodian. And he said, I'm, I'm Bartel. You went by last name because we were freshmen. You know? <laughs> and uh, he looked so bored. And everything I would say, just like he was falling asleep. And uh, I, I knew I had to get his attention, and I knew I had to, to witness. Now, the youth pastors who preached this, either they didn't tell you how to witness, or I didn't listen to that part, because <laughs> I had no clue. I had, had no idea, and, I, uh, and I, I knew I had to get his attention, and I had to get it on, on, on the theme of spiritual things in the Bible. And, and so I was just fumbling around for a way to, way to break through his, his, you know, his sleepiness. And uh, I said, uh, Bartel, what religion are you? He said, I'm, I'm, I'm Catholic. And he went back to college, almost asleep. I said, Bartel, I said, did you know, I don't, I don't recommend this, I said, uh, did you know that the Pope is going to hell? <laughs> he woke up. He said, what? What? I said, yeah, the Pope is going to hell. Yo, what did you say? I didn't back down. I picked up my Bible off the top of my books. I says, the Pope is going straight to hell. He's going to split hell wide open, and I can show you right here out of the Bible. And I didn't know this, but Bartel was the leader of a gang. They're all criminals. And the whole gang was Roman Catholic. He, he knew he was going to be, he'd be in hell. <laughs> he just didn't know the company that was going to be there, and it greatly fascinated him. And so he stood up, and he cupped his hands, and he bellered out. Hey guys, Slobodian here says that the Pope is going to hell. I want you all to hear this. I had 500 sets of eyes glued on me. <laughs> and the teachers got up from, they, they turned away for a moment from their organization, looked up at me. And I don't remember what I said, but it went on for 40 minutes. <laughs> And my, my life in that high school changed. I, I had the reputation. I mean, I walked down the hall and people pointed at me and whisper. And, uh, but you know, it was a wonderful, God, God was merciful to me because you know what? 
There was a lot of things going on in that high school. I never got invited to any party. <laughs> I never got invited to, to do a lot of things. Nobody ever offered me drugs or even a cigarette. You know? uh, I, I was stood out. And within, by the end of the day, or by the end of the next day, uh, there's a group of Christians. They found me and they said, we heard about you. you know, we meet every morning for prayer. Two teachers approached me and said, Sam, we heard you're a Christian. And we want you to know that we're, we're praying for you. And uh, so God, God uh, gave me that one little bit of excitement. And as a, as a senior in high school, I wanted to be a professional trumpet player, but God touched my heart as a senior in high school, and uh, he called me to preach. And uh, that's what I've been doing now uh, since he called me. And it was, I ended up in Central Seminary, too. That's where I met your, your pastor and his brother. And uh, over these years now, God has done some great things. But it all started just with people sharing the Bible. Thank God for that Bible college student who put that New Testament in Anton's hands. And the whole story is here. You can read about this story. It's there, pictures of Anton. And uh, a lot of those things are there. So uh, we encourage you to uh, be a witness. And uh, we thank you for the prayers and the support that you invest in our ministry. Thank you, Pastor.